This is the Edisto TV podcast, connecting the Blackwater region. And welcome to the long-awaited episode 28 of the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I am Tom. And we are here this week with another episode. It's going to feature two recent interviews, one with Amanda Brennan, who's going to be talking about opportunities for you to take part in some citizen science programs, and another interview with Gus Speth, who's a prominent environmentalist born and raised on the banks of the Edisto down in Orangeburg. And we'll get to those in a few minutes. But first of all, do want to acknowledge that the Edisto TV podcast did take a brief hiatus. Some of you may have noticed, our dedicated listener, I mean listeners. And uh, we spent that time thinking about how we've done the past year of podcasts and how we might make it better and more relevant going forward. So first of all, we're going to commit to doing the podcast on a much more regular schedule. We think that probably predictability is a good thing, no, Tom? Yes. Yes, and uh, we started out trying to do it weekly. It drifted around a bit, ended up being about every 10 days or so. But going forward, we're committing to a podcast every other week. So we're going to do, in theory, half as many of them, but hopefully twice as good. They'll be published on Fridays. So this edition will be up on Friday, March 13th. And then the next edition, episode 29, will be up on March 27th. I have said it, and therefore it is so. That's the plan. All right. And secondly, we're going to try to run complete interviews in each episode uh, instead of spreading them out over several episodes. That does mean our individual episodes might run a bit longer before we had this half-hearted commitment to trying to keep them to half hour. Uh, But it does reduce the amount of production time involved and uh, the effort, and it's going to just make it easier for us to keep up with the podcast production. Now, going to the What's New section, Tom, of course, one of the first things we want to talk about about What's New is one of the reasons why we need additional time and uh, more efficiency in getting the podcast done, which is SC Rivers Forever. Do you want to talk a bit about what SC Rivers Forever is? Yeah, so South Carolina Rivers Forever is uh, found at scriversforever.org. It's a a coalition of groups that are committed to... um, keeping the water flowing in our rivers to the overall long-term concern about our rivers and protecting our rivers. So um, it's a little bit broader than the typical uh, conservation groups. We have sportsmen's groups like Trout Unlimited involved. We have a number of paddling and kayaking industry groups um, that have expressed interest. So um, basically it's a, a group of people that are concerned about the rivers. And um, in particular, uh, in the short term, we're very concerned about the surface water withdrawal laws that allow ag users to um, basically take all the water out of the river if they want to with no permit or public notice or any of these other things. Yeah, and just to jump in on this for a second, I guess part of what we came to recognize very early on with the uh, surface water withdrawal law is that it's a threat to the Edisto, which is how we initially got involved in this, But when you look at how that law works, this agricultural exemption in particular creates a problem which faces every river in South Carolina, and we're not overstating the case. So the idea with SouthCarolinaRiversForever.org is to make a place where people across the state who care about our rivers can come together and make common cause to try to make sure that when our children and grandchildren and future generations come to these rivers, that they see something that we'd recognize, that there's water in the rivers, that the ecosystems are healthy, that users, and we include agricultural users along with industrial and municipal users, 
all the stakeholders have a fair and equitable process whereby if there's water available that they can use without damaging the river, that they can do that. Right. So that's what SC Rivers Forever is doing right now. Um, As Tom said a second ago, a lot of the focus that we've got going on right now is specifically on the surface water law. But I think everyone's vision for this going forward is that SC Rivers Forever should be a voice for rivers on a variety of issues, not just the surface water issue. Right. And I think a lot of it uh, will be educational. We've done, uh, we've been, part of the reason we haven't done the podcast is we've been very busy over the last uh, two months or so recording quite a number of interviews with people about rivers, um, including experts, including, you know, people who live on rivers, people who uh, have been concerned about the rivers, people downstream, people upstream. So, uh, anyway, a lot of these interviews are kind of taking shape as these little short videos that we've done. And so, you know, ask what's new. Uh, you know, we usually talk about what's up on the Facebook page. And, and right now on the Edisto Concerns Facebook page, um, by far the most traffic we've gotten over the last um, month is is these videos. And so, um, you know, Hugo uh, and I have, have spent several days, you know, going around the state interviewing people and talking to people about this issue. And um, I think the videos do a good job of giving people an overview of, of what's going on. And there will, of course, be links for these uh, to, so that you can see them both on the scriversforever.org page and also we'll have them in the show notes, right, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the YouTube channel, I mean, the one video that we did on the Farmers and Water has had about 20,000 views in, in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, we did a little bit of promotion on that, but I think it really resonates. And, and particularly, you know, since Farm Bureau is opposing us on this, um, you know, they're trying to make it sound like it's an attack on farmer. And, I mean, we've got farmers literally lining up, calling us, asking us if we can come videotape them to talk about how important the rivers are. And so, you know, Farm Bureau, I think, is out of touch, but they certainly uh, not in touch with all of their uh, farmers. Yeah, and, you know, as we've said from the beginning, that this ought not be something that anybody could really oppose. What we want is for our rivers to be protected so that the resource can be used responsibly now and into the future. And it's funny, we'll, we'll go into this over the next few weeks, but, uh, Tom, you were looking around the other day and found stuff that Farm Bureau was putting out back six years ago when they were trying to support the surface water law, where what they were saying then sounds a lot like what we're saying now, but now they're opposed to it. So we're we're going to explore that little conundrum at some point in the future. Um, Also, another piece of the SC Rivers Forever uh, plan is we are pursuing some legislative initiatives. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on on that front? Yeah, so we, uh, there is a legislation that would address all the concerns that we've been voicing concerns about over the last year. And and basically what it does is it does away with the uh, farm registration process, which is separate and distinct from the permitting process. And so we like the permitting process because it has public notice. So you can't have somebody literally taking the whole, whole flow of the river and their neighbors don't know, but it takes care of the public notice issue. It has an in-stream flow requirement it, it, it also looks at whether or not there is, you know, a legitimate need for the water and that the use it's being taken for is, you know, not going to hurt the river. Yeah, right. So DNR actually has a voice in the process. Um, we don't bypass uh, our 
Stewards of Our Rivers, uh, which is DNR. Um, so anyway, we think the law does what we've been most concerned about, and so uh, this, the SC Rivers Forever is is supporting this law. That's not to say there's not better laws, that we couldn't have something else come up, but right now uh, this law seems to address the most urgent needs that we have. All right, and um, getting a little ahead of ourselves on our write-up of what's happening in this week's show, but we do actually have coming up here the press conference that we had for this bill in the State House lobby when Representative Smith introduced this bill in the legislature. Uh, we're going to drop back first and do these things in chronological order, though. Doug Busby was in the Senate briefing on conservation for the state Senate. They call it Conversations with Conservationists because they like it to be easy to say. So we have a little audio sample of some of what Doug had to say to our senators who were in attendance at that event. Uh, we're going to play that little clip right now. Citizens from every walk of life all over South Carolina are coming together in a unified grassroots effort called SC Rivers Forever to support change in the current surface water law. We have an unusual opportunity to get ahead of the curve and learn from the states that are in crisis right now. California is facing water regulations right now. The problem is they just don't have any water to regulate. We still do. We still do. I am asking for you to diligently seek a solution to the flaws in the current surface water flow that is fair for South Carolina streams, rivers, citizens, and especially South Carolina farmers who are the cornerstones of our communities. So that's just a small segment of what Doug Busby had to say at the Senate briefing for uh, conservation issues. Uh, we are going to include a link here where you can go and hear Doug's full remarks. And then just the next week after that was when Representative Smith introduced his House bill, which is the remedy that we were talking about a second ago, where it would do away with the ag registration process and put everybody going forward on a permit basis. I think it's important to point out that this would not affect anybody who has an existing permit. It would not change the terms of what they have already. It would only apply to new people registering or, in this case, applying for a permit to yeah. take water for agricultural use. So so one of the things, and we're still kind of getting a handle on what the uh, our opponents are doing, and, and, you know, we realize we're in a messy business here, but we're looking at documentation that um, Farm Bureau is giving to legislators that has bald-faced lies in it. So apparently, I don't know if that's kind of par for the course, but they're, they're saying that basically we want to stop farmers from taking water out of their ponds and stuff like that that's not part of the law that doesn't affect any existing farmers yeah so basically fear-mongering yeah i mean i guess i don't i mean i guess that stuff works um but anyway we, we hope in a long campaign here to get the facts out on the table and get the truth out and um love to, love to have a discussion with farm bureau and these guys that say you know this is a bad idea explain why explain why yeah, well, that would be nice. Anyway, so we, we did have the press conference for the introduction of Representative Smith's bill in the House, and uh, let's go to a quick little clip from that as well. We have a law in which one class of user has a complete exemption and can use as much water as they choose without the requirement of receiving a permit. Now, that was 
that was a part of the surface water law that we passed in 2010. It was something that was necessary to get the bill passed as a compromise. As, as Representative Smith indicated, you know, we had it. I, we had in mind the folks that are standing behind us, the farmers who've been here, not the big mega farms that are coming here. Um, but now we're seeing that we have we're attracting farms from out of state, huge mega farm operations because of our lax water laws. And this is a very important point, and I want the people of South Carolina to really get this point. Even if you're not involved in this debate, you don't know the details, you need to know this, that the water, the surface water in South Carolina, according to state law, the public trust doctrine belongs to the people of South Carolina. Amen. Amen. So that's just a little bite of some of what Senator Chip Campson had to say uh, at that press conference for the introduction of the bill in the House. And I just think it's very interesting that a guy who really is one of the more conservative voices overall in the Senate uh, is apparently also a radical environmental extremist. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he really has a good understanding of this issue, and he, he states it clearly. Um, by the way, one of the videos on scriversforever.org uh, that if you're interested in, in what Senator Camps has said, who wants free water? Who wants some free water is the name of the video, and it, it shows our uh, commissioner of agriculture, and, and explaining how he's recruiting these out-of-state farmers, these big mega farms from California and stuff like that. And uh, it has Senator Campson explaining uh, what's going on here. So get the word out. We'll check out the videos and, and spread the word for us. All right. Thanks, Tom. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be talking with Amanda Brennan from CISA and Coco Ross about some citizen science opportunities. We'll be back on the Edisto TV podcast right after this. This is Tom from the Edisto TV podcast, and I just want to put in a word for Tyler Brothers. They've been serving the Blackwater region for over 100 years. They have a lawn and garden center with plenty of steel and husky chainsaws, weed trimmers, blowers, plenty of Husqvarna mowers. And if you've got a lot of grass to cut, check out those Husqvarna zero-tone mowers. They have three or four different models to choose from. Check them out at tylerbrothers.net. Or if you're on Facebook, you definitely want to follow them and get the latest deals from them. You can find them at facebook.com slash Tyler Bros or search for Tyler Brothers and you'll find Tyler Brothers for Carhartt Clothing. They are the place for guns and ammo, your Carhartt work clothes. They've got camo from Carhartt and Drake and many more. Work boots from Georgia Boot, Rocky, Red Wing, Justin, Wolverine and many more. They are the place for your safety shoes, your snake boots, your camo, whatever else you need when you are out in the swamp. Tyler Brothers, since 1904, it's the place for you to be on a Saturday afternoon. They're open 8 to 6, 6 days a week, closed on Sunday. Stay away from the superstores and visit Tyler Brothers in Wagner. Welcome back to the Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And up now, we have an interview that we actually recorded several weeks ago, and I'm ashamed that we haven't gotten this up sooner. Amanda Brennan from CISA with the USC Geography Department, and also uh, she's with Coco Ross, um, was nice enough to sit down and talk to us about the program. The month of March, they are recruiting specifically for these programs. We intended to have this podcast up back in February in plenty of time, so now it's almost mid-March when this is going up. But we invite you to listen to what Amanda has to say here about 
the programs that they've got going on. If you're interested, they would love to have additional participants, and we've got all the information here for you in the show notes and also in the interview about how you can get involved and what you can do. So, Tom, before we jump into this, I guess we do want to mention that CESA, which is one of the groups that Amanda's with here, is Carolina's Integrated Sciences and Assessments, um, which is an uh, effort which is local to USC and Columbia, I believe, and across the state. And also COCORAS, which is an acronym for the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network. COCORAS is a unique nonprofit community-based network of volunteers, all ages and backgrounds. They all work together to measure and map precipitation, rain, hail, and snow, using low-cost measurement tools and stressing training and education. They've got a great interactive website, and their aim is to provide the highest quality data for natural resource education and research applications. They're in all 50 states, and they're in South Carolina, too. With that as introduction, let's jump right into this interview with Amanda Brennan. So my name is Amanda Brennan. I work with a federally funded research group called the Carolinas Integrated Sciences and Assessments which is a bit of a mouthful, so we just go by CESA. Um, we're based out of the geography department here at the University of South Carolina in Columbia, um, and we are working with another group that's also a bit of a mouthful called COCORAS, and that stands for the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network. And basically what we're interested in is how we can do, take citizen scientists who are volunteers with the COCORAS network to take daily rainfall measurements, and then also send us weekly condition monitoring reports to let us know how the rainfall or a lack of rainfall might be affecting the people, plants, and animals in their communities. Um, a little bit broader to step back, um, the purpose of this project came out of trying to learn a little bit more about drought impacts. So there's a lot of information out there that's a little bit higher level. So thinking about a drought index that maybe measures a fire risk that the Forest Service might use or agricultural drought that might be more interesting to farmers. But there's a lot of other types of drought impacts that we don't capture in those indices. For example, how um, a lack of rainfall might affect a uh, local nursery or it might just be the effects on um, someone's own backyard, vegetable garden or something like that. And, and those impacts are important too and they affect um, how we think about drought and how we plan and prepare for drought and manage um, our water resources during times of drought. So we've, CESA has connected with COCORAS. Um, COCORAS is an existing network of observers and they were already taking these daily rainfall measurements. So every day you go out, you have a standard four inch rain gauge and you measure the amount of rainfall that you've received and you enter it onto the COCORAS website online. Well, CESA is asking these observers to take one step further, and about once a week, um, give or take a day or two, you know, depending on people's schedules, just to write down a few sentences about how the weather that week might have affected things in your area. So COCORAS, um, again, that stands for the Community Collaborative Rain, Hail, and Snow Network, and the website is www.cocoraz.org. That's C-O-C-O-R-A-H-S dot org. Um, and there are, I think, over 15,000 participants nationwide with COCORAS. And these are folks who have a rain gauge set up in their backyard who enter their daily rainfall measurement online each day. 
Um, it's a really vast network of people. It was started out in Fort Collins, Colorado, by a man named Nolan Duskin, um, who still maintains regular contact with all of his observers. He's a great person. Um, but it was really a grassroots effort to better understand um, how rainfall varies locally, because the saying with Cocoa Rise is rain doesn't fall the same on all, which is very true. It can be raining on one side of the street and not, not the other, one side of town and not the other. We get a lot of different rainfall variation within the state of South Carolina as well. So for South Carolina, there are several hundred observers all throughout the state, um, and we're working with about 43 people in both North and South Carolina who were COCORAS observers who are also taking this extra step and doing that condition monitoring reporting. Hope Mizell is the state coordinator for COCORAS here in South Carolina. She's also our state climatologist, and she would love to have more people um, participating so, because the rainfall measurements are really important to what her office does, the state climate office, um, understanding how our rainfall patterns vary from place to place. So yes, we're always looking for more people who might be interested. Um, in fact, Hope has a couple of gauges. I think she mentioned that she has four or five gauges. So if there was someone to contact me um, in the next, say, week, who is interested in participating in this project, we might be able to offer you a free rain gauge. The rain gauges do run about $30. And the reason that Kokoraz asked participants to use that same rain gauge is so that our measurements are the same at each data collection site. So everyone's using the same standard four-inch rain gauge. Um, if anyone's interested in participating, they can email me. I'll share that information now, but we can also, I believe, post it on your website. That email address is abrennan at sc.edu. Um, so you can just send me a quick email. Let me know that you're interested in participating. We've got a lot of information um, online. We can also mail some materials. But it is important that people do have internet access to participate in this project because the rainfall measurements and the weekly condition monitoring reports are submitted through the COCORAS website. Um, so as I mentioned, each morning you'll go out, if it's rained, you'll measure your rain gauge, you'll go in, you get a username and password for the COCORAS website, you go in, you enter that um, precipitation or rainfall measurement, and that's basically all you need to do each day. It takes about three or four minutes, maybe a little longer depending on how far you have to walk out the door to your gauge. Um, the weekly condition monitoring reports, really what we're asking people to write about in those reports is you don't need to learn about anything new or different. Um, we're just asking folks to sort of pay attention to what they're already doing. So you might be a gardener, you might be a birder, you might be a fisherman, um, a farmer. So just in your day-to-day -day life, take a few notes about if you've had a really heavy rainfall event and maybe that caused some localized flooding if it's been really dry for a couple of weeks and maybe the soil moisture is dried out or you know, maybe the local nursery isn't doing as much business because the temperatures haven't gotten warm enough yet to start doing plantings or different things like that. So we're really asking folks to consider what they already know, not necessarily going out and learning lots of new things, but to just write a couple of sentences um, once a week about those types of things. And again, that information is entered through the COCORAS website and we have a number of different training materials that we can share with folks um, to let them know how to do that when they sign up. We maintain a monthly newsletter that's specifically geared towards our condition monitoring observers. Um, we share information from other folks' reports, so I think that that helps 
a little bit in giving people information and ideas about what they might consider reporting. We also try to share information about the drought impacts monitor. Um, so, you know, recently we had a little bit of a dry spell for a couple of months here in South Carolina, so we were giving updates, you know, what the Drought Response Committee had declared in terms of an incipient drought, and now that we've had some rainfall around Christmas in the beginning of the year, so that's kind of declined. So we'll share that type of information in the newsletter as well, and some other helpful hints. You know, um, Janae Davis, one of our graduate students who helps produce that newsletter, always finds something really interesting to share. And this most recently in the January newsletter, she talked about how you can create habitat for um, wildlife. Um, so um, putting out the right type of bird seed or providing um, cover for small species who are still overwintering here in the Carolinas. Um, we also have a blog that we um, maintain. It's called the Cuckoo for Cocoras in the Carolinas blog. Um, we each week we'll read through the condition monitoring reports that we receive and someone is selected as the weekly star. Um, so your report will be highlighted on that blog for others to read and it's not, you know, a great honor and distinction, but we like to think that people are, are proud of themselves whenever they um, are highlighted in the blog as well. And we try to share some other types of information um, through the blog post also that's relevant to our Kokoraz observers. Um, we try to have, we've done a couple of these general conference calls with folks to provide an opportunity for people to ask us questions, um, maybe share some information with one another about what they're finding is working well or, or not working quite as well. Um, so really trying to give people an opportunity to talk amongst themselves and then talk with us um, semi-regularly through that, just a general conference call where folks call in and we have a discussion together. Um, we have provided some different types of trainings whenever we were recruiting master naturalists and master gardeners. We had, did a couple of in-person trainings, but we our phone lines are always open. We're, we're here via email. Um, if you're in Columbia, you're welcome to stop by um, here in the geography department and talk with us. Um, but we've got all these training materials to share as well. So really try to be a resource for people to reach out to and to try to stay connected with everyone. Because sometimes, you know, you're doing this on your own. You're going out, you're measuring your rain gauge, and you sort of do get the feeling that you're the only one doing this and just sort of lost in the mix. Um, another thing that we're doing is we're trying we're sending this information back to people like our state climatologists in North and South Carolina, and even some folks at the national level um, with the National Drought Impacts Reporter and the National Drought um, Monitor to share the information that you, that these observers are providing and find out how they're able to use that. Um, we've had a couple of general conversations. And over the last month with, again, Hope Mizell here in South Carolina and some folks up in the North Carolina State Climate Offices to get their feedback about the types of information that's really useful for them. Um, and we're going to be talking with folks at the National Drought um, Mitigation Center later in February um, to, to get their feedback about this information also. And then we're trying to incorporate that into the newsletter and some of our blog posts to let the observers know, hey, here's who's looking at your reports, here's what they're finding most useful and interesting, and maybe here's something that you're not covering that they could use a little bit more information on. So making those connections between the end user and the observer as well. So there we are, our interview with Amanda Brennan of CISA and Coco Ross. Hopefully you know a bit more about that now. And, uh, Tom, any thoughts on that before we move forward? Yeah, just I'll have links to the um, the Cuckoo for Cocoraz blog, which they 
do a pretty good job keeping that up to date. If you're interested in weather and uh, precipitation in particular, there's and a lot th- of interesting in- data out there. And I think that one is specific to the Carolinas, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then also the um, the CESA site, they have some really good videos, all kinds of interesting stuff out there. So great, great work that they're doing. And again, want to apologize to Amanda for not getting this on back in February when we intended to, but this is their big month for recruiting new participants into these programs. If you're at all interested, please follow up, go to the websites, talk to the folks at CISA and Cocoros, and uh, we'd love to have you taking part in these programs. All right, moving forward now, um, Gus Speth. Uh, we talked about him in a previous episode, actually. He wrote this book called Angels by the River that we talked about, which is his memoir uh, about his career uh, both growing up in Orangeburg and then later on uh, how he became involved in the environmental movement. Uh, if you don't know who he is, his resume blurb from his publisher says, James Gustav Gus Speth is the former dean of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. He's founder and president of the World Resources Institute, and he's a co-founder of the Natural Resources Defense Council. He was administrator of the United Nations Development Program, chair of the UN Development Group, professor of law at Georgetown University, and chair of the U.S. Council on Environmental Quality in the Carter Administration, currently teaching at the Vermont Law School. So definitely one of the sort of prominent figures of the past 30, 40, 50 years in American environmental issues. And Mr. Speth was in Greenville, Dr. Speth, I suppose, was in Greenville delivering the keynote address at the Upstate Forever's Green Luncheon where they gave out their awards. And uh, we were able to have a chance to talk to him about his connection to the Edisto River. So it's really a huge coincidence that somebody who is that prominent in the environmental world also has these ties to the Edisto, which we are, you know, so close to. Yeah. It, um, I started reading his book, and uh, it's really easy to read. Um, and uh, his first chapter or so talks about growing up, like, a few blocks from the river. And, I mean, they spent all their time on the edge of the Edisto River. And he talks about the mystical, you know, kind of trips through the river. And it's really neat. And um, and the, this guy, my understanding from what I've been reading on him is, uh, like, National Resource Defense Council. You know, this was, like, one of the first environmental groups. This is like, back in the early 60s. When, I think early 70s, but yes. Yeah, but they were just kind of getting together, like, what are we going to do about this? So we, You know, and um, so anyway, it, very interesting uh, getting a chance to talk to him. Right. So let's jump right into this. This is Gus Beth talking about his connections with the Edisto River. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Orangeburg, South Carolina, which uh, sits nicely on the banks of the North Edisto. And uh, uh, at that point, there were no swimming pools in everybody's backyard or anything like that. And uh, and there were public swimming beaches uh, on the Edisto. And so it was... uh, a marvelous uh, gathering place for uh, all of us uh, young people uh, to go and spend almost every summer day uh, when we weren't out of town or something there. And uh, and it really introduced me to the natural world uh, because we would go into the swamps uh, of the Edisto. Uh, we would fish in the river uh, with my father at first and then by myself later. Uh, and... Uh, and it was just a, a, a wonderful natural area, uh, relatively undisturbed, and uh, 
and, and uh, unprotected by anything at that point, but there wasn't any development pressure to speak of in, in, in this era. Um, and uh, so we still go back. Uh, we, uh, there was a pavilion, which has now been converted into another type of community facility, sitting on a bluff above the river. But in, my, in our day, originally, it was an open pavilion uh, with, uh, you can imagine, uh, pinball machines and soft drinks and a dance floor. Uh, and uh, so it was, uh, it, was, it was a big part of my life growing up. And, uh, and I, I think we need to pay you know, vastly more attention to, to our streams and rivers in our country. Uh, uh, EPA reports that still today, um, the Clean Water Act was originally written in um, 1972, and still today, uh, a third or more uh, of our rivers in the country don't meet the standard that was set back then for fishable and swimmable waters. Uh, and uh, our uh, aquatic habitat in the country is the most threatened uh, of all uh, species groups uh, today. So this is a resource that we need to treasure. And I'm particularly fond of the blackwater streams of the low country in South Carolina. And, uh, you know, whether we're talking about the Black River or, or the Edisto or uh, all the rivers down in the Ace Basin, uh, other ones, uh, it's just a wonderful uh, resource that uh, we all need to dedicate a lot more time and attention to protecting before it's gone. Um, how do we balance the, the responsible use of the resource in the present versus the need to have it there in the future? How, how do we get to that balance? And, and how important is water going to be, say, over the next 50 years? Well, we see now in the country, uh, especially associated with some of the drought regions in the southwest and the far west, uh, you know, huge water shortages already apparent. Uh, and I think it's uh, uh, a lot of industries uh, could move out. Uh, agri big agribusiness operations could move out of some of the areas that they're uh, perhaps uh, drying up and, and move to areas where there's a lot of water. So I think there's a potential for a huge uh, degradation uh, of this, uh, this property, which we ought to think of as owned by all of us, a common resource that's available to everybody. And and not something that can be scooped up by uh, big farms and agribusiness operations. Uh, uh, so this is, a, this is a real threat for the future. Um, I, uh, I think we've, you know, in terms of a balance, we've almost certainly already tipped too far towards exploiting the resource, and uh, we need to move back to protecting uh, rivers and streams and, and, uh, and the lakes associated with them and the swamps associated with them. Meanwhile, our governor has declared South Carolina open for business. Our Commission of Agriculture is recruiting farmers from, for instance, drought-stricken California to come and pick up operations here. Um, this is economic development. This is good. How can you say that, you know, this is something we don't need? Well, we need different measures of wealth, don't we? I mean, we, uh, we focus on GDP and, G and gross national product and its growth and the state and local variants of that and its expansion is thought to be good but if we had uh, real measures of, uh, of wealth and capital so that we understood natural capital the services that natural systems provide to, to societies uh, the aesthetic value the, the tremendous 
psychological uh, investment, the educational opportunities that are there. You know, if we really try, if we really had measures that uh, could measure this natural capital and the social capital, as well as the financial capital, you know, we would see right away that uh, that that you know we're we're drawing down. Uh, we're drawing down assets at a very rapid rate. So, just to focus on, you know, the money, the financial gains that might come out of development is very short-sighted and very incomplete. Okay, you, you have had the year of presidents, and in your role at the UN as you know heads of state all over the world, what would you say to South Carolina's legislators about the need to correct flaws in the law that currently allow agriculture? you know, a special set of rights to water that other users don't have and that threaten the resource? Well, I, I don't know the, uh, the law in South Carolina, but I think the legislature owes the people a duty uh, of, of, of care uh, for future generations as well as, uh, you know, immediate exploitation. And, and they're only doing their jobs, they're only doing their civic duty if they take into account uh, these these other forms of wealth that I described, and, and the needs of future generations, uh, and uh, we we run a risk uh, always in this country uh, of overdoing it, of overdevelopment, uh, over exploitation, and we need to think about uh, you know uh, investing really in in environmental and ecological restoration and regeneration. So there was Gus Speth, the author of his memoir Angels by the River. Uh, from Orangeburg, went on to become prominent in the environmental movement and was kind enough to talk to us uh, just the other day up in Greenville. I will mention that um, we have also provided uh, our friends from Upstate Forever with a little handheld video that we shot of his keynote address at that event. They have posted that on their YouTube channel, so we will provide a link to that posting for you all in the show notes. And uh, if you'd like to see what he had to say beyond what he had to say to us about the Edisto, uh, that is out there, and we will make sure that you can get to it. So any other thoughts on Gus before we move on, Tom? Nope, just another uh, guy I didn't hear and didn't know about (laughs) that's done amazing things, and right here from the Edisto River. That's it. All right. Well, so that is it for Episode 28 of the hopefully new and improved Edisto TV podcast. I'm Hugo. And I'm Tom. And we'll be back with a brand new episode in two weeks on March 27th. Hugo promises. Thanks for listening. This is the Edisto TV podcast, produced by Edisto TV, connecting the Blackwater region.